The manifold grace of God that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, that the word manifold is um, poikulos, and poikulos is where we get the name for Joseph's coat of many colors, shades, degrees, layers, levels, a variety of ways and a variety of methods that God's grace can come to you. And if this is your first time here, for some of you, you think God only has one grace and that grace is to save you. And he has that grace, but he has layers of graces maybe you're not even aware of. But before you die and before I retire, I'm going to prove to you that, that you were born by his grace, you were kept by his grace, you were saved by his grace, and you will even leave this planet only by his grace. And so we also found out that the word grace is a word called haris, and by it's a political term before it was a religious term, and it means the superior, which was the king, he supplied everything that was needed of the inferior. And so this, so the apostle Paul picks up this label, and this is what he 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 attaches this theology, because these people were mostly all slaves. And they depended upon the good king to take care of them. So he said, even though that we have a good king, but God is our king that has it all. And spiritually, we're born bankrupt. But whatever you need, our God will supply all of your needs. And so that's what the word grace or haris means. So two weeks ago, we talked about the saving grace of God. Ephesians 2 and 8 through 10. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We used to talk about the word poema or poetry, that we are God's poetry in action. Last week, we talked about serving grace. How many knows that we can only be saved by God's grace? Absolutely. Number two, how many knows you can only serve people by the grace of God? We found out last week that there's a lot of people that that not that easy to get along with. Imagine that. And so the reason why God gives us serving grace is that we would continue to serve one another in spite of one another. The idea of serving grace is, so you say, well, that's kind of crazy. Well, it's not crazy. Then why do I need grace to serve one another? Well, turn to about two people and look at them. Don't say anything. <laughs> and, you, and, and you suddenly realize they're different. See, they're different. The thing about a non-denominational church is that not only do I combat goofiness, but if you belong to a structured denomination, it's almost we're programmed. We know what to say. We know what to do. We've been programmed how to respond. We know when to stand. We know when to kneel. But when you come to a non-denominational church like this, where Christ is king of all things, then you have to understand that we're all different. We got Baptist. Anybody here Baptist used to be? Yeah, you don't have to be ashamed. Okay, all right. Church of Christ? Methodist? Presbyterian? Vegetarian? All these things? All the, Nazarene? Pentecostal? Assembly of God? Foursquare? We're all different. How in the world can we all be different and get along? And it's the grace of God. There's no other answer. We're not trying to reprogram you to some type of religion. We're just telling you that God's grace is working in your life. And serving grace, we found out last week, is so important because that in spite of people, we continue to serve because we're not always going to get along and see eye to eye. But we don't have to see eye to eye on, 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 on minor things 
the important thing is we see eye to eye that Christ is Lord of our life and, and, and the Holy Spirit is in this place helping us to connect our hearts together. So the third one's called standing grace. And uh, we'll finish. We, we got somewhere to go next week. But standing grace is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. And basically it says at the end of one and the beginning of the other, having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, stand. That's it. Having done everything that you know to do, now God is telling you, stand. And that sounds simple until somebody comes out of the doctor's office and hands you a pink slip and tells you you got stage four cancer. Standing is easy when you got a pay raise and the kids are healthy. Standing is easy when everything's going your way, but when the doctor tells you you got 90 days to live, standing is not an easy thing to do. And standing grace is the strength and the ability that only comes from God that gives us the ability to stand rather than folding like some cheap lawn chair. And if God didn't give us the strength to stand on our own or by ourselves, I'll assure you, we could not. So standing grace is a grace that God gives us. That in every situation that we face, we can stand. We can just stand. Now, there's a funny scripture found in Psalms chapter 89, verse 15. It says, blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. Now, this was written by King David. And King David not, was not only a king, but he was a military uh, genius. But he knew, he understood the principles of, of, of warfare and strategies in battle. And the reason why he writes this is for this. He said, blessed are the people that knows the joyful sound. There are three sounds of a trumpet that will be heard during any battle. Three. Number one, it is the, the, the sound of charge. And that's not on a credit card. That's charge. Forward progress. Let's go forward. Number two, retreat. Every man for himself. And the third one is to stand or to hold your position. No matter what, don't move. Now, you had better know the difference if you're in battle, if you plan on surviving your battle. Because the Bible said, let every man have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. The Spirit was like a trumpet that said over and over to the Bible. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is like a trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord is like a trumpet. And when we go through battles that we don't have any idea how to respond to, there is one that understands what you're going through, but he speaks to us as a, as a trumpet. And you really need to know one of the three. You need to know whether we need to make forward progress we need to know whether it's a, a voice saying, you better run from here, flee from youthful lust, he said. Paul tells Timothy, don't hang around those people that do that. Flee from them. But the third one is, it's a sound to hold your position. Don't move. Now, this is very important. Because if you don't know the difference, if you hear the, the sound to retreat and you think it's a sound to go forward, you're going by yourself. 
So the Holy Spirit in our life, according to the situations that we go through, ladies and gentlemen, whatever that you may face in, there are basically three sounds that the Holy Spirit will tell you. Number one, to move forward. Number two, to retreat from those things. And number three, just stay still. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Hold your position until someone gets back with you. Now, the reason why this is so important, because I've only been doing this for a long time, is that it is our enemy who constantly insists that we do something all the time. We all, if you're not careful, coming from the Pentecost and Assemblies of God, we all have spiritual ADD. We can't sit still. We have to get revved up. We've got to be moving. We've got to make something happen. And in that philosophy, that's the reason why most of us are burnt out. When people come here, when people come here the first time they meet me, I mean, they think, they think, this guy, you're just idling. I'm not idling. I've learned to wait upon the Lord. Because here's the deal. Somebody said, well, I flew to California. Well, did you now? I bet your arms were tired. <laughs> oh, I hit, a, I, hit, I hit a home run that day. Really? Are you sure it wasn't the bat that was involved? Are you sure there wasn't an airplane involved? See, we, we get so carried away with, with religious thinking is that, oh, yeah, we're going to do something. And if you show up at 6 o'clock tonight, have you ever heard this on television? If you'll be here at 6 o'clock tonight, God's going to do great things. You don't have a right to say that. You don't have the permission to, to make false advertisements of what God is going to do. We have the right and permission to show up and to get in agreement and to get in unity. And if we'll do that, Psalms 133, the Bible says, then the blessing of God will come. Yes, unity will come. I would rather have unity than a revival that lasts eight weeks. And when it's over, everybody's gone. Yes. You understand me? Yes. I know you do. So when, when you come here, see, it's your enemy. It's your enemy that, that especially that now for, for some of you that in, come from a church that, you know, there's defibrillators to see if you're alive. I mean, I understand that. But I'm talking about the religion that I grew up in or the theology of assembly of God. I mean, I mean, well, we had to be doing something. And we wasn't doing something. We're, we're, we feel guilty. And then and then when a barn burner happens, said, boy, God really moved. We didn't have a preacher. Really? You mean tell me that you're, you're excited about having a church service and the word of God wasn't even delivered? There's something wrong. Because the word of God takes preeminence over everything. Because Jesus is the word of God. And he was wrapped up in a human body and he walked among us. But he's your enemy. It is our enemy. It's my enemy that, that constantly says that we do something all the time. Here's four or five. Watch this. Satan said, turn these stones into bread. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. 
the angels will catch you. Fall down and worship me. You know what he's telling Jesus? You better do something. You got to do something. You better do it quick. Do something. Come on, snappy Tom, do something. Do something. Just don't sit there. Do something. Luke 4, physician, heal yourself. Matthew 27, 40, if you are the son of God, come off the cross. Come on, do something. Do something. Save yourself. They said, if you are the king, save yourself. Surely you have subject in your kingdom. If you are the son of God, if you are the king that you say, then you better do something quick. John eleven thirty two, if you had been here on time, my brother Lazarus would not have died, but you did nothing. Proverbs 28 says, the wicked flees when no one is pursuing them. It's kind of like jogging. I'm not going to do that. You see what your enemy's doing? He is insisting that you do something. He's telling you, charge, go forward. It, it don't matter. I've heard them people say, well, it don't matter if it's right or wrong. Just go do something. Your enemy is the one that's trying to develop this mindset in you that you've got to constantly be going forward and going forward and doing something. And I'm telling you that that's, that's good in a sense, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you, just stay still. Now you think that's easy because you're old and you're tired and you're sleepy this morning, but you ought to come to this daycare and watch them four-year-olds. That's impossible. <laughs> Now, one of the hardest things for us to do as believers when facing things is when you hear the trumpet of the Lord speak to you, just be still. And you know what our first question is? For how long? How long I got to stay still? Can somebody play the Jeopardy music for me? Have you, ever called the, have you ever called somebody, especially the IRS, and they put you on hold? And they play wonderful music, but I'll tell you right now, sometimes you can't go, God, and he goes, I'm going to put you on hold for a minute. I'll get back with you. And that really frustrates us. And sometimes we're not careful. I mean, we say, well, all the nerve. And we think he's not listening, but he can listen even though he's on hold. You ever go in the doctor's office and there's 100 magazines? You're going to be there a while. There's a reason why there's a hundred magazines at doctor's office. And you just can't tell you, you just can't walk in the hospital and say, well, I'm here. And they go, good, take a seat. I'm ready to see the doctor. He's not ready to see you. And sometimes we just, we have a need and we say, I'm, I'm God, I'm here and I'm ready to see you. And sometimes God says, just take a seat. I'll be with you momentarily. And the Bible says a day with the Lord is a thousand years. So I don't know how long you have to wait, but God sometimes puts us in a place where he wants us to be still. And somewhere in that process, we're going to learn some very valuable things. Being still does more than just develop patience.
Now, some of you know this. This is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 37 to 39. We've talked about this. But for those that haven't, it's a good story. Jesus is in the, the middle of the sea with the disciples the first time. A storm arose, a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And Jesus was in the back part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him up and they said, Master, you do not care that we're going to die. You don't care. You don't care. We're dying here. We're bailing here. We got a pump going on and you're back there sawing logs. Do you not care that we're going to die? They're all in panic. They're all frustrated. They're all waving the white flag. They're bailing water. This small boat, about 18 to 21 feet long, is sinking, and somebody sees Jesus asleep. And somebody said, wake him up. He's not helping us do anything. And when they woke him up, then they said, you don't even care if we live or die. What kind of, what kind of, what kind of master are you? I know you've never said that, but you have, so don't lie to me. If you care, why did you allow me to go through this? If you really care for me, why do I have to go through that divorce? Why did I have to bury a loved one? Why did I have to do that? If you really cared for me, why did you just sit idle like Martha with claws out, got face to face, and she said, it's your fault. You did nothing. Remember? So now then that Jesus, when he woke up, he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, knock it off. So if you're not aware of this picture, let me give you the picture. The word rebuked in some translations, it, it has everything to do with it's epi tomaho, and it means to censor, to restrain in order to bring peace, to forbid. Now, in the Old Testament, when he talks about in the book of Malachi, he said that I will rebuke the devourer. It means he will say, stop it. That's enough. This word epi, which means beside, he was beside them. Tomaho has everything to do with with censoring a situation. Now, by the time the Romans got a hold of this term, it means to humiliate in public. So what this means is that there was the most wanted criminal in all of Rome that had broke out of prison. He had a reputation of murdering anyone that got in his way Man, woman, small beast. And when you mention his name, people would run and they would lock the doors. They would grab everybody in their house because the, knowing that this most wanted killer is loose somewhere in Rome. But one day they capture him. And what the Romans would do when they would capture him, they would bring him to Center Square and they would tie him up in hand and feet, kind of like in, 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 in four quadrants, 
basically completely naked. He had, he had his Hanes underwear boxers on, and, but they would put him in public square that everybody could walk by in front of him and look at him. And this hardened criminal that was feared and, and respected by everyone in fear and, and, and rage is now censored. He's restrained. And now then, when they walk by him, they look at him and say, well, you're not that big of a deal. We were afraid of you. I wasted not sleep over you. And by putting him in, in, in chains in four quadrants, in open, in open court that people could just walk by and look at him, what it did was, the Romans used this word, he was humiliated in public. Everything had been stripped off. His title, his, his, all of his anger and rage, it's all been stripped away. And now then, what we have is a man that doesn't have the ability to hurt you and harm you anymore. He was humiliated in public. That's what epi, a tale, means. When Jesus is woken up out of the sleep and these disciples are bailing water and they are so frantic that they're screaming and yelling and they're trying to write their last will and testament and they're blaming everybody and they're blaming one another for whatever reason. Now they're blaming Jesus because he's not doing a thing. And you know what he does? Watch this. He does nothing. So when you read this in the English, you're going to see they wake him up and he's going, oh my goodness, I didn't realize we were sinking. He doesn't jump up and say, in, in the name of my father, cause this thing to stop and the wind stop. He doesn't say anything. The word rebuke doesn't carry the, the idea of speaking anything. He just gets up and folds his arms and he doesn't do anything. And the wind is beating and the waves is beating and, and these guys are pulling their hair out and they're putting on life jackets and they see sharks everywhere and, and he's not even moving. And he's just looking around. He's humiliating the wind in public. And after on the bow of the boat of him not even moving, and I know what you're saying. Somebody, somebody's told him, hey, you need to lead us in prayer. What was that prayer? Our Father, say it again. We'll pray with you. He's not saying anything. And once again, they're saying for the few minutes, he goes, why don't you do something here? And he would say, I am. I'm humiliating the wind in public. And by him not doing anything, he's doing a lot. And I would assume that the demons are telling Satan, he's not afraid of you. He's not responding. 
He's not retreating. He's not breaking out the lifeboat. He's not doing anything. He's standing still. And by not doing anything, he humiliated the wind in public. He stripped away the fear of the wind. Now, the Bible doesn't say how long it took him while he was standing there rebuking the wind by not saying anything. He's just standing there. And I'm not for sure how long it took to finally he looked at the, the sea and the water and says, would y'all knock it off? And the sea turned to glass. One of the hardest things for us to do as believers is that when we are going through something is to do nothing. You're programmed to do something. You're programmed to start a prayer chain. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. If you want to do that, I'm with you. But sometimes, sometimes when things come against the people of God, sometimes that what happens is God's telling you, just get still. Just be still. It's kind of hard to hit a moving target. Get still. And somebody would come to you and say, are you not aware of what's going on? Oh, I'm aware. Did you know that Julie was diagnosed with cancer? I understand that. Well, did you go see her? I did not. Did you send her flowers? I did not. Did you give her $5,000? I did. I gave it to your dad. So I'm not sure what he did with it. <laughs> and somebody said, well, well, he don't care. He doesn't care. Sometimes God will put you in a position that you don't have to go forward and you don't have to go backwards. Sometimes God just wants you to be still. And being still and not being intimidated humiliates your enemy. <clears throat> Every time. That's what Jesus did when he rebuked the wind. He absolutely humiliated the wind by being still. Now, Matthew chapter 26, 51 through 53. This is a wonderful verse. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The band of soldiers come to get Jesus. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, which was Simon Peter, and he drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. They come to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter said, I got to do something. I got to do something. I just got to do something. John's not doing anything. James is hiding behind the bush. I've got to do something. So Peter pulls out his pocket knife and he cuts Malchus's ear off. And Jesus said unto him, put up your pocket knife for those that take the sword shall perish by the sword. And this is a word where we get that if you make your living by killing, you'll die by capital punishment. So Jesus said, don't, don't, don't get involved with something that will cause your own life. And that's why he stuck his ear back on Malchus's because they couldn't charge him for a crime if there was no evidence that the ear was missing. So now watch what he says. Jesus said, do you not think that I could pray to my father right now and he would give me more than 12 legions 
of angels. Now, I've, I, I talked about this a few years ago, but I, for you that are visiting, and I want you to, to hear me this morning. The band of soldiers is coming in the Garden of Gethsemane to get Jesus. The disciples really didn't have a clue what was going on, but he did and God did. So 500 men now had made their way through the, the pavers to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can hear them coming because they wore cleats in the bottom of their shoes. You could hear them coming, golf shoes. 500 of them. And when they surrounded Jesus, the first thing that Peter said, I've got to do something. <laughs> and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a small knife and he, he attacks the chief priest and cuts his ear off. So Jesus immediately picks up the ear and sticks it back on and he said, Peter, put your knife up. Well, Lord, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. These other guys are not doing anything. I'm going to do something. And Jesus said, do you not think that I could pray to my father and he would send 12 legions of angels to deliver me from this situation? Good old Simon Peter, he just had to do something, but watch me. But God did not. God did not do anything. With bitter tears running out of his eyes and off his face, God did nothing but watched. Could God have eradicated the... Yes, but God did nothing. He just stood still. So to give you a mindset, what's going on here, what is a legion? A legion, by Roman terms, is 6,000. So he said, my father, if, if I so wanted to, I could pray right now and, and my father would send 12 legions of angels to deliver me if that was needed. One legion is 6,000. So how many is 12 legions and it's 72,000? So Jesus said, I could pray right now and my father would send 72,000 angels and they would be here immediately. So the question is, what is the strength of one angel? Isaiah chapter number 37 and 36 says, one angel destroyed 185,000 men. So what is the combined strength of 72,000 angels? 13 billion, 320 million men, twice the population of planet Earth today. So now then the time of Jesus' departure has come. The Roman soldiers 500 now has surrounded him with torches and lanterns and they surround him and it, the impending hour has come. 
In less than 24 hours, he will be crucified. And good old Simon Peter, he said, I got to do something. We've got to do something. Something's got to be done. So he reaches into his knife pocket and pulls out a knife and he attacks one of the soldiers. And Jesus stopped him. He said, did you know that my father, all I have to do is say the word and my father will send enough angels that would destroy planet earth twice in the year 2022. But I'm not. And Jesus did nothing. And God stood still and did nothing. But with bitter tears flowing out of his eyes. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, Put your pocket knife up. You don't have to do a thing. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there's some things in life that is not to be changed. It's meant to be endured. And I want to say that again. There are some things in life that never was meant to be changed. It was just meant to be endured. The cross, the betrayal, the crucifixion, they were never meant to be changed. Was it painful? Yes. There's some things in your life that you, you have spent more time complaining that something happened, but I'm here to tell you right now, it wasn't your fault, it wasn't the neighbor's fault, it wasn't God's fault. Some things was never designed to be changed in your life. It was just meant to be endured. And we may not understand until we get to heaven and he may not tell us when we get to heaven. That may be none of your business, but I'll tell you one thing. Don't waste another day worrying about why things were not changed. You should rejoice to God that God still gave you the strength to endure it. And Hebrews chapter 12 said this, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who in endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. There's some things in your life that God has put in your way that may not be pleasing, and that may not be easy, and you may not like it, whether it be your health or the person that you live next door to. But some things are never meant to be changed. Only endured. And through this process, Paul tells Timothy, endure hardness like a good soldier. I wish I could tell you this morning, I wish I could just tell you that when you go home, there's going to be a check in your mailbox. I'll tell you, more than likely, there's going to be bills in your mailbox. I wish I could tell you when you get home, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say, I like that guy. I wish I could tell you this morning when you go home, ladies, and you look in that mirror, you go, I am the perfect image of a beautiful woman. I wish I could tell you when you go home and you drive home from church, 
You're going to look in the rearview mirror and look at yourself and say, I am that great Christian that everybody will want to be like. I wish I could tell you that, but that's not the way it is. Some things God will, will not remove from your life because he's trying to teach you to be still and know that he is God. I will tell you in 34 years up here, there's a lot of people that I prayed for and a lot of good things happened. And there's some things that I prayed for and it didn't come to pass. But I watched you. I watched you. I watched you. Julie, I watched you. When we were here to celebrate the life of your mother, I watched you, Mike. And as far as I was concerned, I didn't go home with her, thank God. But Robin, I wish she would live a long time because I liked her. Me and Robin had church. The rest of you people just, you were here. Me and her had church. That was said of her funeral, really. Somebody said that. Her and Pastor, they had church. We were just, we just, we were bystanders of him and her. But I watched you. And we prayed and we asked God to heal her. And God gave her the ultimate healing. But I watched you go through that and you're still standing. And the Living Bible puts this this way. And when it's all over, and when it's all over, and when it's all over, you'll still be standing up. My word for you this morning is the fact I'm not going to tell you that everything's going to go good. I'm not going to tell you that at the altar of your wedding that started out to be the love boat, it probably turned out to be the Titanic. I'm just going to tell you straight up, but I will tell you one thing. Standing grace is that no matter what you face, he gives you the grace to stand. And not only stand, but while you're standing, you're humiliating your opponents. One of the greatest things that you can do in life is when things do not go your way, as Jesus did on the bow of that boat, is sometimes you don't have to do anything. Just stand. And someone would say, how in the world can you just stand? How can you do that? How, 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 how can you stand and honor God when we just buried your loved one? How can you do that? Here's the answer. I can't. You cannot. And on your own and by yourself, you don't have the ability to stand under any type of pressure. That's why you need standing grace. And having, and when it's all over, you're still standing. Father, this morning, 
I don't celebrate in people's sufferings and hurtings and I'm not here to clap and applaud on people's financial frustrations and marital mishaps. I'm not here to rejoice and celebrating in homes that are under attack and minds that are being assaulted and the list goes on. I'm not going to thank you for allowing things to happen to us because that seems so cruel, but I'm going to celebrate the standing grace that you have sown into these people's lives. You have done something supernatural to these folks. We are living testaments that we've had to endure some things. We had to go through some things. We had to face some things. In the dark, alone, by ourselves, We were in a position that we had no way out. We were tempted to give up and fold up like a cheap lawn chair. Everything within us wanted to scream and holler and blame you. But something on the inside just caused us to stand still. You didn't give us the permission to go forward. You didn't tell us to run for our lives. The only thing that we heard was to stand still. Be still. And I'll show you that I'm God. Whatever happened to someone else's life, God said, I, I, I fulfilled their life. But, but everything that we go through, Now, Father, is trusting you. So this morning, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are and whatever that you're facing, he gives you saving grace and he gives you serving grace. But he'll give you a standing grace that when it's all done, you're still standing up. The Bible says that the righteous shall be like trees planted by the rivers of water. We're standing strong. We're bearing fruit. So Holy Spirit, this morning, supernaturally do something that only you can do in this place in the lives of, of these people. Some will go home to a spouse that's not eager to see them. Some of them are going to go home to a workplace tomorrow that hates Christ. Give them the grace to stand. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. amen. It's not a pun, but would you please stand this morning, huh? God will humiliate your every opponent by you just standing. Sister Louise, right now in this process of this cancer in your body, just stand still. Just be still.
Every mind that's being assaulted, be still. Every heart that's being attacked, be still. Every thought that's been waged war against, just be still this morning. You don't have to do anything. Put your pocket knife up. God has all the power. He has all the grace to meet your needs. God is good this morning. Would you agree to that? Communion service, if you'll please make your way this morning. This week, your homework and your assignment is to be still. Just be still. And he's going to give you grace to endure anything and everything. That's what he promised us. That night he gathered his disciples and he took two simple elements, the cup and the bread, and he said for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the Passover. The bread represents the manna that came from heaven. But he said, now then that I am the bread of life that my Father has sent from heaven, if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. He took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this cup represents the lamb's blood that was, that was shed in the first Passover and it was taken place in the shape of a cross that the death angel Abaddon would pass over. And Jesus said, now then, I am the lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world and my father will take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Take of the cup and you take of the bread and remember me. So this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to give God thanks for his standing grace that no matter what we have faced and what we'll face this week, he promised that he'll give us the grace that we need to stand and humiliate our opponents in public. In Christ's name. Amen.